Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rhetoric. Berto is your host. Thank you so kindly for being part of the show. We are going to have a lovely show for you today. Welcome aboard, Miguel. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Rudnan, Michael Rudnan is in the house. How are you doing, Michael? He says, I'm sleep deprived today. Catch you tomorrow. Well, I'll see you tomorrow, brother Rudnan. Sorry that you can't stick around. I have a good uh, interview with Ryan Grimm. I guess you guys know Ryan Grimm from... All the shows he does on MSNBC and other places. Uh, I tell you what, I was and talking about sleep deprived. I that that piece that I did with Tyler Perry, I was looking at my face and it's like, God, Egberto, you look like you just woke up. But guess what? When I did it, I really just woke up. But anyway, welcome aboard, Michael Rudnan. Welcome aboard, Bridge MCP. Welcome aboard. Melanie Keelan from Barcelona, Spain. Welcome aboard E2247. How you doing, my dear brother? Of course, welcome aboard Sharkulas. Here, stylist. Great to have you here again. And we have Lee Grant is in the house. So is El Senor Eric Hayes. So we have our compliment of folks here. Thank you so kindly all for being here. And Bruce Pollard says, Yo estoy aquí también. In other words, Bruce is in the house. Hey, Bruce, we are supposed to have coffee this week. I have some work to do today and tomorrow. Uh, let's see about, you know, get catching an hour or so on Saturday. You give me a shout if you're up to it, if you're feeling good enough that we just go out to that Starbucks out where you are at in your part of town. Okay, who else do we've got here? All right, I think that's all I've got here. i tell you what I'm going to start with. I interviewed uh, Ryan Grimm last night. Let, let me see. Well, we don't – I tell you what. Let me play the Tyler Perry one first. That one, it's – it's 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 a, I cleaned up the one that I did at KPFT because it really got to me, the Tyler Perry story. And uh, so let me play that one, and then I'll go ahead and do the interview. Thanks for listening to that interview that I did at the New on the New York radio station yesterday. I'll play that one tomorrow for the rest of the audience to see. Vrij, didn't want to do it today because I know some of you had already listened to that piece that I did. But this time, you listen to it. I have video of that with me and uh, 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 <clears throat> author Schwartz. That's who we did it with, Arthur Schwartz. Hey, uh, Paul Fleming is also in the house. Okay, let's go ahead and listen to the Tyler Perry piece. It's uh, about the Amazon puff piece that they did on Tyler Perry. Then after we return from that one, we'll go ahead and uh, talk a little bit and then do the one with Ryan Grimm where we discuss AOC, the, the APAC, uh, how he destroyed uh, a few days ago. He had... Uh, he had Ted Cruz on his show, and he completely destroyed Ted Cruz. So we'll do that in a second half hour. So let's go ahead and do this one now, and then we'll take it on the other side. I cover a whole lot of stories, and uh, of you know, sometimes I cover things on celebrities, etc. And celebrities, as a part of their their portfolios, they do things that sometimes makes one wonder. I've had sort of a angst towards Tyler Perry 
Because in my humble opinion, a lot of the way he built his fortune, in my opinion, was ridiculing uh, African-Americans. And notice I didn't say ridiculing black folks. I said ridiculing African-Americans because what he many times I thought was doing was sort of ridiculing the culture. That's my opinion. So for, for the longest time, I remember going early on when he just started and he, I think it was either DVDs or even before DVDs used to release, I think it was tapes. I remember going to the home of a friend here in Kingwood and they had one of his tapes or DVDs. They played it and because he used to tape them live and, you know, I, I looked around and I'm like, that. why would somebody try to do that? You know, I, I just sort of got upset at watching the tape. but. It kind of caught on just like certain things catch on and and he started to grow and grow and grow. And I remember watching one, a couple of his movies and noticing sort of a what happened to black professional men in his movies. It always seemed that he made them abusive, take advantage of women etc etc and that kind of stuff really irked me look all all the black men all, all the men that i hang around in general do the right thing so i don't know what who was what stereotype he was doing out there but i know he was in fact setting a stereotype that's personal that is that may be my sensibilities what really got to me back in 2019 was when a good friend of mine, a, a, an activist reporter out of Atlanta, she called me up and she said, Egberto, you know, um, you know, Tyler Perry got this big deal in Atlanta and it's in a black neighborhood and purportedly he got all these tax breaks. And the idea behind this tax break is to revitalize the area that he was in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what she did is she, we did a live show. I did a show on what, what I found out about him doing, about the breaks that he got. And then she went and did a live show with her iPhone. And we brought her in live to Politics Done Right as she went around the neighborhood, went around the gated studio, you know, that was pretty much smack in the middle of this neighborhood and protected against the people on the outside. And it, it just irked me that you had, you, you had this company run by Tyler, company, uh, Tyler Perry's company smacking a black neighborhood, giving $30 million in tax breaks, doesn't pay any taxes on the property that he got. It's his, the property now, a former base. And the neighborhood that it's in is pretty much a squalor. So I want to, so I did that piece and I linked that piece in my newsletter. Oh, actually I did two pieces on it. One where she's outside of the studio going around the neighborhood with the blight, with people on the streets, sleeping on the streets, et cetera, in that area. And then the other life we did from Atlanta, she was, she did it from within the studio. She kind of finagled herself inside the studio inside of the the, the 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 grounds of the studio and she's out there you know doing some shoots for me live on the show now jacobin is 2023 that was 2019 2023 jacobin's writes an article because perry has this 
puff piece out on, uh, I think it's uh, Amazon, where he goes and they they talk about a story from poverty into success and lifting lifting himself up from the bootstraps and all that kind of stuff. You know, my wife saw the program and she came and she she was all, you know, wow, that story about Tyler Perry and all of that was great. And here comes the Grinch, Egberto. It's like, well, you know, I'm not particularly a fan of Perry uh, because, again, uh, of how I thought he came, you know, how this stuff was built, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I see this article titled, Tyler Perry's Wealth is Not Trickling Down to Black Residents of Atlanta. And that all automatically tickled me. So I said, let me read it. So I want to read sections of this for you. Filmmaker and entrepreneur Tyler Perry is a billionaire. He's Atlanta studio. His Atlanta studio received massive tax write-off premise on the idea that his success will inspire others. If that sounds familiar, it's because it's a liberal version of trickle down economics. And it says the new Amazon prime film, Maxime's baby documents the rise of Tyler Perry, who was born into poverty and hardship in New Orleans and overcame racism and long odds to become one of the highest paid entertainers in the world, a billionaire, no less. While the film tries to affect the tone of a serious examination, it's ultimately a glossy two hour commercial for the filmmaker and entrepreneur, a chance for Oprah Winfrey and Whoopi Goldberg to hype him as among the pantheons of today's greatest cinematic innovators. Is Tyler Perry running for office? Ask RogerEbert.com. Maybe not, but it's a fair question. The ethos that structures the film's feel-good arc has been the beaten heart of the Democratic Party's vision of social justice since the Obama years. By now, most liberals wince at the mention of Reagan-branded trickle-down economics. Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama all use the term in a derogatory manner. The irony is that these liberals, in addition to a weak commitment to hiking taxes on the rich, have their own version of the theory. Their thinking goes that when members of marginalized groups make it to the top of the economic and cultural ladder, their ascent is an automatic gain for remaining members of that group. But Tyler Perry's fame and wealth have not trickled down to working class and poor black people in his home city of Atlanta. Perry celebrated the 2019 opening of his production studio on a defunct Fort McPherson army base. Which This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sound stages named for wealthy black celebrities, including Winfrey Goldberg, as life-changing act of social justice of surrounding community. When I built my studio, I built it in a neighborhood that's one of the poorest black neighborhoods in Atlanta so that young black kids can see a black man did that and they can do that too. I was trying to help them cross, Perry proclaimed during the BET Awards speech. You know, that kind of talking never turns me out. I want I want to be an example to other black people so they can see what I do. 
You don't need to be an example tacitly. I mean, over. I mean, overtly. You are an example by your works, by what you do. And people see you and inherently they look at you and they say, I can be, I can achieve. That is what Obama was when Obama became president. Black people saw that it was a una meta. Um, it, was a, um, it was a goal that, that it's okay to strive for. Because there is somebody who actually did it. But I digressed back to the article. In fact, it's been the year, it's been the other way around. Almost all of Atlanta's residents have subsidized Tyler Perry's personal wealth, which reportedly topped $1 billion this year in some way or another. In 2015, Perry acquired the Fort McPherson land for the significantly discounted market price of $30 million, though it had been appraised for as much as $75 million. Let me break right there from the article and explain something. If Tyler Perry bought a market-valued property for th that, uh, that's worth $75 million, and he got it for $30 million. That is a, you people of Atlanta, you immediately increase Tyler Perry's worth, his wealth by $45 million because had, I had, listen to this, had Atlanta, instead of giving that property to Tyler Perry for $30 million, had they sell, sold it to some other company for $75 million, that would have been an extra $45 million in the coffers of Atlanta if they had sold it at the market value. An extra $45 million would have been there, but it gets worse. Some local Democrats called it a sweetheart deal between Perry and his friend Kasim Reed, then the mayor of Atlanta. Critics said it seemed designed to help the Mongols' uh, pocketbook rather than the poor black neighborhood around it. It felt like a trick, a dirty, dirty trick, said one local resident after the deal was announced. Forbes now estimates that Tyler's studio is worth $280 million, but because of a tax deal made with local officials, he's had to pay zero property taxes on it from 2015 to 2022. You see, all those poor people that live around that base that is surrounded by a fence that is now Tyler Studios, they all, they all are paying property taxes, likely their property taxes would have been increased because the value of their property have increased given that Tyler Perry built his studio there. People, people, that's money. And by the way, I'm, I'm on to Tyler Perry on this, but this occurs with all billionaires and rich people, irrespective of who they are. I just happened to be talking about Tyler Perry, who I, I think uh, should understand better. I mean, buy the thing at $75 million so the people can profit from that. But no, that was his profit. That's money would otherwise largely go to Atlanta public schools whose study, whose student body is disproportionately poor and black. In 2023, the Fulton County Assessor calculated the student, the studio's value at 74 million. 
So even even the, the appraised value of the studio, 74 million, is nowhere close to the market value of $280 million. You want to know why rich people continues to get rich faster than poor people are able to build your worth? These deals are what I'm talking about. About a quarter of Forbes estimate, which means taxes are less than a million dollars every that he has to pay whenever he starts to pay taxes. Additionally, Perry has taken advantage of the 30% state tax credit given the film production in Georgia. The share of tax money used to subsidize Hollywood productions cost Georgia voters an average of $330 per household last year. Perry earned plenty of glowing national headlines earlier this year for his philanthropy in donating $750,000 to help low-income seniors in Atlanta as property taxes increase. So everybody said, oh, what a nice guy. He gave $750,000 to help poor people pay their taxes. But he took forty-five. Million dollars in excess from what he paid and didn't pay for that land for the studio, and he paid zero taxes between 2015 and 2022. Still, there was no mention of the layers upon layers of tax breaks he got in the first place. Meanwhile, Atlanta now has the worst income inequality in the nation with the median household income for a black family at $28,000 compared to $83,000 in the same city for white families. Some of the neighborhoods and southern uh, and so west suburbs surrounding Tyler's Perry Studios remain among the most poverty-stricken. Hey, I did the report in 2019. Nothing has changed. Uh, he got the property now. He has a property now, I think, almost 10 years. How has the neighborhood changed? The only thing I think can be accounted for is a lot of the board. By the way, the, 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 the Atlanta uh, activist reporter that I work with, she's also a goodwill, a real estate agent. But she's one of the good ones out there that tries to make deals and put people's in, people into homes. She showed what's happening to the home values that people are having to move out because Tyler Perry has moved in and the property value around his studio has increased. Don't think it's not going to be gentrified because we spoke about that as well. We spoke about that as well. OK, so. Uh, continue. Some of the neighborhoods in South in, and Southwestern suburbs surrounded Tyler Perry's studio remain among the poorest poverty stricken. Not, uh, that you'll hear anything about that in the documentary just, they just made about him. But perhaps goes to thinking these struggling residents will one day see the Amazon Prime film or peer through the gates and steer up at the 35,000 square foot, $100 million mega mansion Perry is building nearby and be inspired to lift themselves out of poverty. If that sounds familiar, it's because Maxine Baby is a liberal twist on a familiar trope. One man journey to the heights of fame and fortune will trickle down and become everyone else's success. Folks, Capitalism doesn't know color. Capitalism doesn't have a heart. Capitalism doesn't care as long as it builds on capital. It builds one's capital. That's what it's all about. And when you see Jay-Z, who is worth billions on the backs of many, and his cousin asks him for $5,000 for a venture, 
And he goes out and he makes a big issue with it on, on national radio and says something to the effect. He thinks it's just easy to, 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 uh, for five thousand, and this is for $5,000. He has ripped millions of dollars off of rap artists that he, that he, uh, that he works with allegedly. Okay. But he 5,000, it is just amazing what capitalism does to one's heart what capitalism does to one's soul. Anyway, folks, uh, so that that is my take. That's Jacobin tape. It seems take, and it seems like Breach found a 2009 article that's apropos. Let me read it. It says, <coughs> sorry about that. Tyler Perry's gender problem filmmaker Tyler Perry may see himself as creating modern-day uh, fairy tales for black women, but he's actually reinforcing some seriously conservative gender politics. Tyler Perry has rapidly become the most bankable African-American movie-making branding in Hollywood and an entrepreneurial heavyweight. The seven feature films he has conceived as produced and earned more than $300 million at the box office with an average opening week gross of $25 million, no small feat for films with predominantly black cast. <coughs> Sorry about that. He credits his creative inspiration for his films in part to African-American women. So far, so good. That is until you see the films. Though Perry repeatedly referenced his admiration for an allegiance to African-American women as a foundation of his work, his portrayal of women of color undermines the complexity of their experience through his reductionist approach to his character and his dependence on disquieting gender politics. Perry may see himself as creating modern-day fairy tale for black women, but what he may not realize is that fairy tale in general have never been kind to women, and we talk in women in general. The crux of, Cherry, of Perry's gender problem lies in his reliance on conservative gender politics that eschew a more progressive, inclusive agenda. Each of his films advances nearly the same message to his audience, which is overwhelmingly African-American female, devoutly Christian and over 30. Be demure, be strong, but not too strong. Too much ambition is a detriment to your ability to find a partner and spiritual health. Female beauty can be dangerous. Let a man be a man. And, you know, I, I had not re read this, read this one from the nation, but that is actually complementary of what I said, how he deals with professional black men in his movies. Go ahead and watch his movies. You know, I, I sat down with, with, with my wife one time and I told her, my God, my God, my God, I just don't like that sort of portrayal. Okay. Eric Hayes says 100 million could have helped lots of people, but nope, kind of like the Tyler Perry argument here. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Okay, Shakula here, stylist says, it's okay, Egberto. I am white and hate Taylor Swift. She's the worst thing to come to music since MTV. But you know what? It's so funny that you said you hate Tyler, I'm um, Taylor Swift. I admire Taylor Swift. And let me tell you why I admire Taylor Swift. By the way, I still think she need the tax. We need to do something about taxes to tax a lot of the money that she actually extracts out of the masses. But that's for another, another, another show. I mean, another show because a lot of people will say, "Well, she goes out on stage and earn it." I have the same argument for her, Circula, uh, that you hear me make about Oprah Winfrey and the engineers who created all the the pieces that allowed them their success. Who make no profit on the success that they've been allowed 
to my to to to, to vote up. But as far as Tyler Perry, I have the same admiration for Tyler Perry as I have for Taylor Swift. They use our current economic structure and they took command and did it however they could. In other words, they did what it took in this economic system to succeed. Now, the difference that I find between Taylor Swift and, uh, and, and Tyler Perry is my contention is many a times Tyler Perry used uh, use the black community, buffoonerized the black community too often. And he made his money because, again, it's if you look uh, when you demean a a group of folks that society at large uh, sort of is a custom of seeing demeaned, you can profit from that. And in my humble opinion, and I, you know, some of you may take exception to that, but in my humble opinion, that's what he did. Now, I don't see Tyler Perry saying. Oh, white girls are this or that or trying to do anything to uh, to that, that actually fulfill some sort of a negative stereotype. My opinion, anybody wants to comment about that, I would love to hear what you have to say about that. Now, as far as our music is concerned, place, place. All right. Uh, let's see. Vidish MCP said we did this already. I, I'm not sure what we're talking about. Vidish, no, I mean, uh, he doesn't put women up, especially black okay Sharkula here says i said true i i i bet a lot of republican dads are having some bad times <laughs> okay paul Fleming says please post your number i would like to speak to you directly uh you can speak to me directly anytime i tell you what i can't post my number up here but i can go ahead and uh i thought you had my number though i, I tell you what to do um send me a direct message and I'll and send it to you, uh, Paul. We'll 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 talk. We'll definitely talk. Uh, let's see what else I have here. <clears throat> uh, Daniel Edo, the virtue signal is worth forty five million. Local politicians will mix milk that for virtue for at least two elections. LOL, they got played. Actually, Ledo, I normally don't agree with you. But you notice I read that one. You notice I read that one, right, Lido? And guess why, Lido? You are right. Mi amigo está correcto for one. I guess a clock is, is right twice. <laughs> a dead clock is right twice a day. I love you, Lido. I love you, Lido. Just had to make fun of that one. All right, Yvette Avery Herod is in the house. How are you doing, beautiful? Great to have you here. Uh, let's see what else we got here. What else we got here? Uh, a, a Taylor Swift tax. Great idea. Oh, wow. I know you're being facetious, but I'll take it anyway. Uh, Bree says, Egberto Willis, I was saying we did this story already regarding Tyler. I did the Tyler story long time ago in 2019. This was a new one based on Jacobin. My dear brother, Ray, talk to me, Ray. Hey, Egberto, yeah. I heard you uh, going in a little bit on Tyler Perry and... uh, while I don't disagree with you, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a little. No, bit. please do. And and by the way, Ray, I I like I like you know that that is my opinion. I mean, if you have a different opinion, I'd love to hear that as well. Absolutely. No, no. So I want to I want to offer some nuance to this to this debate. So you know, I agree with you. I'm not a fan of Tyler Perry's subject matter. I feel like 
you know, the, the movies and the, and stuff. It, it's kind of cliched black experiences, like you said, stereotypes. Now, on the flip side, when I say I'm pan devil's advocate, um, I feel like a lot of admiration for Tyler Perry goes to his economic capabilities, meaning um, there used to be a skit that uh, Dave Chappelle made with, um, with uh, Wayne Brady, and there was a, a, a catchphrase he would say, and he would say, black actors, you know, meaning working black actors. Mm-hmm. And what I think is Tyler Perry's appeal is through his art craft and his writings, he's been able to employ, you know, multiple black actors and keep mm-hmm. them, you know, employed for a long period of time. So you couldn't tell those black actors or people who aspire to act, you know, that may have benefited from the studios that are being built in his area. That's why it's kind of hard to villainize him in a sense, because he is creating jobs. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's where I wanted to take this. He is a job creator in essence for the black community. And that's why they revere him. Not so much. I feel because of the quality of his art form, but his place in the community as a job creator for a lot of aspiring uh, black actors, producers, etc. I am not, I can't disagree with anything that you just said at all. I can't disagree with anything that you just said, Ray, but let me postulate another question. Um, more than likely, if he didn't, uh, if his subject matter, okay, let me ask you a question. If his subject matter wasn't that of, let's say, in the beginning, having sort of, I don't want to say making fun, but I, I but sort of, <clears throat> disparaging in, in my opinion, I don't know, you may feel differently, the African-American culture. Do you think he would have had the same appeal or growth potential that he had? No, and, and, and I'm going to tell you why. And you might not you might not use my language, but people like stupid entertainment. People like goofy entertainment. People like buffoonery. It, it sells. I mean, that's yeah. why Donald Trump it's so popular True. and it sickens me to my stomach because right. people like, you know, I, I can't use the word that I really, is, but I'm going to say, uh, buffoonery, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but I, I have a more choice word, but, but people, people seem to like that. Even in our government, they'd rather, you know, a cult of personality idiot like Donald Trump to take the reins because he's entertaining. People want right. to be entertained. Uh, people who are not in the business of entertaining, you know, and that's, right. that's what I hate about being an American growing up in this country. I've learned through the, through the rise of Donald Trump's power that we truly worship celebrity. We truly worship money. I heard uh, on a documentary somewhere that in God, we trust wasn't added to our money until around world war two, because it yeah. was like Americanism <laughs> became, you know, nationalism of America became synonymous with God at some point. Right. And right. alliance to America was also allegiance to God. It's, it's so messed up how, you know, we have that, but yet the constitution says separation of church and state. I think I somebody, on. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm, no, no, I'm somebody put, over. What, 
No, no, wait, wait. Somebody put that in our chat because I read that same thing that you're talking about. When in God we trust. I think it may have been Bridge MCP who put something of that nature in our chat. And I went and I hit ahead and read it. But, you know, I, I need to go to the Ryan Grimm story that I interviewed Ryan Grimm. But before that, I want to say one thing. Uh, look, I respect Tyler Perry as a capitalist, just like I respect uh, um, Taylor Swift as a capitalist. Uh, for the things that I preach, for what I preach, I preach about building not on the backs of others, right? And I think more so than than Taylor Swift, if you look at how I think, again, this is my opinion. I just, I just felt that, uh, you know, I don't, well, you, you know what I feel about that. I just, I just have this thing about you using the pain of others to build on, but Anyway, we can finish that conversation on another day when I have more time. But anything else, uh, uh, Ray, before I run to the other video? Yeah, a quick question. Yes. How would you feel if somebody like a Tyler Perry, you know, with all his wealth and riches that, you know, we can, you know, respectfully agree that was probably not all merited. Uh, what if he was to use that to wield more progressive political power now that if, that if you li yes sir uh, let's let's answer that question straight up i spoke about that uh two days ago on kpft if 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 uh if if beyonce if jay-z if uh if taylor swift if if uh tyler perry were to go ahead and say i made all these millions now i want to I, I want to go ahead and get the progressive movement going so that all the people in America can partake of the spoils of America. I think that is a, that would be atonement, in my humble opinion. But let's talk about that another day. So, yes, I am not at all against yes, those guys coming out and doing that, sir. Not at all. Yeah. All right. That's what I'm saying. But uh, we right, will brother. talk again, brother, and I'll be listening. Take care. Thank you, sir. Have a good one, my friend. All right, folks, I'm going to go now with the, the interview that I did. I Yesterday, I played the piece where uh, R R Ryan Grimm really made mincemeat out of uh, Ted Cruz. I caught up with him in L.A. yesterday, and here's the interview that we did. I want to play that for you guys right this minute. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. Today, we are honored to have Ryan Grimm. Ryan Grimm is an American author and journalist. Grimm was Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief of Huff for Huffington Post and is now the Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept. He's also a political commentator for Breaking Points and appears frequently on The Majority Report with Sam Cedar. Ryan's newest book is The Squad, AOC, and the Hope of a Political Revolution. Good afternoon, El Senor Ryan Grimm. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good. It's lovely to see you. Look, it's great seeing you. But let me let me just start it this way. Before we get into your book, I want to say that I've been yearning to see people who get onto our national press, the mainstream media on, let's say, the MSNBC, ABC, CBS, to go out there and really give the position without fear. And mm -hmm. today, that's what I saw from you when you confronted Ted Cruz. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how ecstatic I was when I saw that clip, because rarely do you find folks, especially on the issue of Israel and other issues of consequence, do they get challenged? First of all, you were very prepared, weren't you? 
<laughs> yes. Well, um, I, I, so I host a podcast called Deconstructed that was started by Mehdi Hassan. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he's, he's a friend, a uh, former colleague. He, just, he wrote a book uh, maybe a year ago um, about, inter- about his interviewing style. You know, he's right. just an absolute master at interviewing. And one of the depressing takeaways from it was you have to do a lot of work to prepare. I thought there would be a couple tricks. <laughs> like, right. If I could just learn these tricks, then, then I've got them. Uh, but no, turns out uh, that his, his real key is research preparation, anticipating responses, and being ready uh, with facts that you can push back on uh, so that you, you don't allow just endless uh, evasion and talking points. And, you know, that was obvious because I, I tell you what, when it's amazing because as I watched you, as he started to bring the, the story about the river to the sea, mm-hmm. as, as he said that, I sat down watching the interview and I said, I hope Ryan is going to note that that is a part of the Likud platform. Mm-hmm. And bingo, you interrupted him right there. You didn't give him a chance to bloviate. And immediately mm-hmm. you took, you took command of the interview then. And I think he did. I think he didn't know that. Was that your he didn't impression? Know. He didn't know. How, how, which is so wild. He's a, he's a smart guy. He went to good schools. He reads the paper. He's got aides who brief him. Like, how do you not know that? Um, when you live in a bubble, Ryan, mm-hmm. you know, um, when you live in a bubble, Everything that you get is whatever the Heritage Foundation feeds to you, whatever the Cato Institute feeds to you. You know nothing else. Guys mm-hmm. like you, you go out there and you 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 kind of read everything. I remember the last book that you wrote. We did an interview in I think 2019, and mm-hmm. uh, and and then it it was obvious that the kind of work that progressives like yourself, good journalists do, is to make sure that they're well informed on the issues that they cover. And that showed right there. But I tell you something even more profound. The comeback after you, you asked him, you turned this, this question right on. Tell us about that. You turned the question sure. on him. Well, right. So he says, uh, from the river to the sea, and he says, Hamas, uh, you know, I said, well, why is, why is one genocidal if it's said by one side, but not on the other? And he says, well, because Hamas, you know, is genocidal. I said, well, that's just restating the, the point. What, like, what's your, like, how do you explain the discrepancy? And then you, you saw him pause, um, and stop and, okay, like, what am I, how do I explain this, like, apparent contradiction? And what he did is he went into how, you know, the morning before he had seen the, the video that the, mm-hmm. that the IDF has been showing to people, 47 minute video of absolutely horrifying, um, atrocities. And, you know, after he, after he told that, he, I said, you know, we begin, we, we have all condemned that they, you know, hor- absolutely horrifying stuff. Uh, but let's get on a moral, let's get on the same moral plane here. And then as you, as you saw, you read him, read him a list of, you know, public statements made by, you know, Israeli government officials. Uh, some of, some of which have been condemned by other, by elements of the Israeli government themselves, like right. floating Exploding the nuking of Gaza, for instance, like I said, will you join us in condemning these statements? And he could say, you know, those are uh, those are bad apples. Those are not not representative. Those are taken out of context. And instead, he said, I condemn nothing. 
Uh, and at that point you're like, okay, well, I guess we have, I guess we've arrived at the end. Like this is, this is where we all get off. Even coming from Ted Cruz, that was shocking to me. I mean, when he said, I condemn nothing, that almost, that took the morality out of it, right? Because that says mm-hmm. there's nothing that you can there do is nothing. That, that, I, that I will condemn. And also what it does is it takes away the ability for him to see the humanity on the other side, which yeah. I think is, I th- which I think it's a, a problem that we have here. You know, I'm from um, Central America, Panama. And I remember when Bush number one came in and bombed uh, Torrio, the part of Panama where Noriega was. I remember being over here, my father running around in his bedroom with missiles flying. And, uh, and the only thing I heard over here is collateral damage. There was nothing mm-hmm. about what was at the other end of those bombs. And it, mm-hmm. that is, that is why th- what's occurring right now. I feel the pain that the, Israelis feel, but I also feel the pain that the Palestinians are feeling with all their destruction, mm-hmm. infrastructure, and crack skulls, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a, it's, it's controversial in the U.S. Uh, to say that Palestinian lives are the same as American lives or as mm-hmm. the same as Puerto Rican lives or the same as any other lives. I think you get, that really Jayapal was getting, you know, dunked on for using the word balance that we need to be balanced. Right. And how we talk about this, like that's, a, that's genuinely controversial to suggest. It, it is sad. Well, now that you brought up uh, Pramila Jayapal and others, I think it's a good point for us to kind of segue into your book. You wrote another book. Tell us a little bit about that huh. book and what got you. I mean, when did you start that book? I imagine you, you because it, it seems like you have quite a bit of history in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's kind of a sequel to the last one um, mm-hmm. that, that we talked about. That one ran from basically the 1980s up until 2018. And, and right. it told a very satisfying story of underdogs pushing back against the corporate establishment wing of the party and you know, having some real breakthrough success, first with the, the Bernie Sanders, first Bernie Sanders campaign, and then with the squad getting elected to Congress and it bookends with a- uh, AOC justice Democrats and sunrise occupying Nancy Pelosi's office. So it's mm-hmm. like finishes, but also it's unfinished. Like what, okay, what happens next? Like where, where does this go from here? So this book kind of picks up with the first Bernie Sanders campaign, because that's really what, where the energy mm-hmm. that, that grew into the squad originated, but also where the energy to, uh, kind of cynically undermine that that movement came from Hillary Clinton famously saying, and I go back over this in the book in that campaign, saying, uh, you know, Bernie is, is a one issue candidate. All he cares about is the economy, and and he and she says, well, you know, breaking up the big banks won't end racism. And as I if remember that, that. Yeah. yeah, as if that, and, and it it kind of stops you in your track because on the one hand you're like, well, nothing. No, no policy proposal is going to end racism, right? Like, period, like ever. But the banks have been a part of, you know, embedding systemic racism into our mm-hmm. <laughs> into our fabric of our society. Like, in, in fact, we, to some, yeah, to, to some people could would actually say that it's a necessary factor. I mean, I, mm-hmm. that's another it's story. Not but, it's yeah, not sufficient, but yeah, it's, it yeah. would help. Yes, exactly. Continue, please. No, and then so. 
it, it, the book then follows the squad as they arrive in Congress with people power and with idealism into an institution that is, you know, built and designed to like crush those things. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like, how does, how does, how do those two currents, you know, crashing into each other, um, affect each other? You know, I, I tell you something that I, that, that I've been thinking because some on the progressive end for some time, uh, now that sort of that AOC is pretty seasoned, I've g- given her some, some problems. And what I've been trying to say is she's, she's a matured, She's a, a very matured uh, squad member now who knows when to stop and when to move. And I've, in my opinion, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I, I, I've, I've watched both her and the others actually grow into learning how to keep their progressive values and at the same time understand that they're working with a bigger body. Yes. And so... And what I would say is that the book doesn't really isn't going to answer any questions that people have about like it's not going to provide the answer of mm-hmm. yes they're sellouts no they're not sellouts or you know this was right this was wrong what it, what it does is it tells the story in a way that I think people who are diehard uh, supporters of them will find it I- interesting and fair and I think people who are you know dead end detractors of them if they actually bother to read it would also find it fair. And, and would come away from it with uh, a better understanding of, of what happened, why it happened, why people made the decisions they did, and then can still conclude if they want at the end that that was, you know, this was the wrong decision on the, at this time, they should have done this. But it's good to know everything that happened and everything that was going into it. And not only that, I like the way that you said that you would, they would, they would look, it turns out that they're nothing more than people trying to make the best choice that they thought of at that time, maybe sometimes a bit wrong, maybe sometimes a bit right. And I think that as, as an author describing who they are, I don't think there, there's a bit, there's a better way to do that. Now, where do you think uh, we go from here? Right now, we have an institution, or I should say an organization in APAC attempting to pretty much destroy what's left. Well, not what's left. The, the, the squad have actually been building to pretty right. much destroy the building of the, 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 the expansion of the squad, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yes. Th- this is a moment where the question is like, can the band get back together? Like, can, ev- can everybody rally uh, for, for this existential threat? Like APAC has been very clear that let, let's say you count eight members mm-hmm. um, of, of the squad, uh, at least like five of them are going to have serious challenges in which yes. many, many of them are maybe even going in as underdogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can, they can absolutely win. Um, they could, they can even expand the size of the squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and whether they, whether they shrink or, or grow this term, this time, I think really shapes maybe for an entire generation, like what, what, what progressives believe is possible when it comes to electoral politics and, and politics inside the house. Cause if, APAC succeeds in decimating the the squad, which is only eight members, but represents the hopes of like tens of millions of of people. Young people, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a signal to them that uh, either there's no place for you in this party, or you're going to have to work an awful lot harder for it against an awful lot of money. You know, it's interesting that you said that because uh, on my if you listen to my show today, I I actually mentioned of the why it is so important 
for them to win this time around and beat big money. A hundred million dollars is what we're talking about. As on uh, Howard Schwartz, uh, Justice Show earlier today in New York. And that's the same thing we spoke about, that the squad has this, that the, the progressives have to coalesce around these guys right now to overcome the um, that amount. Now, who would you consider underdogs right now in this in, in the group? It's, you know, I think that Corey Bush is mm-hmm. is in a that, tough race. She's that's what, she's, yes, she's a freshman member of Congress. Yes, um, she's gonna you know she she's not from a rich background she right. have, you know she's gonna have to rely on grassroots supporters mm-hmm. and and her opponent this this guy wesley bell is Polished. somewhat yeah somewhat ally of hers in the past and, you know there's nobody's really an ally when you're coming up together in mm-hmm. city politics um but he's a progressive had mm-hmm. you know had the backing of the soros kind of uh you know criminal justice reform element to become a prosecutor there he was going to run for senate but uh, clearly, it was made. He he, he saw that there was going to be a lot of support mm-hmm. uh, if if he would challenge Cory Bush. So yeah, he's polished. He's and if you're a progressive, um, you there's a lot of progressive. Like, yeah, he's good. He he says all the right things. Mm-hmm. But he's gonna now he's gonna have to explain why he's running against her, and he's gonna have to explain that it's about Israel Palestine. He's already said that he felt like he's already been very critical of her on you know for calling for a ceasefire and um. You know, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, So I think she's vulnerable. I think, you know, Summer Lee only won by a couple points. And they they spent maybe three million against her. Maybe this time they'll drop 10 Mm -hmm. because they've 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 dropped seven in a race before against Don Edwards. They put seven. Uh, I think Ilhan Omar, you know, she she took her race for granted last time and only won by like four points. I don't think she will so, now. <laughs> she absolutely will not get caught sleeping again this time. Yeah. Uh, and, and there are currently, it looks like at least two opponents, which makes it tougher to knock her off. Mm-hmm. But you know, if, if she only won with 52% of the vote last time, she's got to, she has to run like she's behind. Uh, Jamal Bowman, you know, just today picked up, um, yes. a, po- a popular Latimer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. George Latimer is a, well, county, you know, county commissioner, like a pop, yeah. you know, pop county executive or something like that in the, in the mm-hmm. north of, north of New York City. Um, and he just returned from a trip to Israel, uh, to announce his, his run. No, I, I think that's like, that's, a, I think that's a chain, sort of a chain though, because I think if, if an ad is done with the right kind of twist in it, it would seem like, are you running for your district or are you running for, a foreign government. I think it, I, I, I think there's a little something there that they could pull off, but well, I don't some know. Some of that, some of that'll depend on what the New York is still going to redraw the lines. Yeah. Um, and you know, so they'll, if you're a betting person, like, are they going to help Jamal? Or are they going to screw Jamal? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so in Illinois, when they redrew the lines and I write about this in the book, uh, Marie Newman, um, was one of the most passionate supporters of Palestinian rights. Um, mm-hmm. In Congress, she represented um, uh, the, the, the largest concentration of Palestinian Americans, maybe in the country, mm-hmm. um, in, in, this, in, in Illinois. Uh, when they redrew the lines, because Palestinian Americans, or Arab Americans, are not considered to be kind of 
ethnic minority group. Right. Like they're considered they're considered white. They split them right through. Yeah. They split them in five different districts. Wow. Oh yeah. Passed, passed them to the wind. Yeah. Um, because she had been such an outspoken um, uh, critic of APAC and, and, the, right. and the Netanyahu government while she was in, in Congress. They're like, we cannot allow this to happen again. Um, and they, so they, and they took her out, um, took, uh, and, you know, took Andy Levin out. It was a, a synagogue president, mm-hmm. uh, and a liberal Zionist, who, you know, proud Zionist, but heavily critical of the Israeli government and would always defend, or would often defend Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar when they were getting mm-hmm. hit by APEC. And APEC said out loud, like, we have to take Andy Levin out because he creates space for Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. And they just, they redistricted him and put him in a, in a contest with a, another Democrat who then they spent millions backing and, and knocked him out. So Jamal will probably face a tough um, redistricting well, I, challenge as well. But where, but on the other hand, it's New York. Like, and, and yes, people say that, well, there's a, a, a lot of Jewish voters in his district, but not all Jewish voters are supportive of the, what the exactly, Israeli government right. is doing. And he, he won a lot of Jewish precincts mm-hmm. in 2020 when he first ran. And what, what the war and its aftermath look like six months from now um, may make Latimer's position look uh, maniacal. I so agree. Yeah, I so agree. Well, look, Ryan, I I, I took a lot of your time already. I know you've been all over California doing your thing. Uh, Normally, I ask this question, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Um, I don't know. I think you actually really covered it. yeah. Well, no, that's yeah. I want you guys to go out there and get the book. You know, his first book, bestseller. Let's go get this one. The Squad, AOC, and the hope of a political revolution. Ryan Grimm, uh, author and journalist, and uh, bureau chief. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics on Right once again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed the interview. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, let's see, Rand Grimm got schooled by Ted Cruz. Mike Cisak was, uh, was watching the, the interview in, uh, in, in one of his projecting, projection mirrors. Uh, let's see what else we got here. What else we got here? Uh, Bridge says that APAC is a bipartisan pro-Israel political action committee. Uh, it is the largest pro-Israel PAC in America and contributed more resources directly to candidates than any other PAC. 98% of APAC back candidates won their general election races in 2022. And that's what put the fear into politicians' head. And that's why we cannot allow any single one of the squad to fall to APAC. We cannot allow that to occur. Um, let's see, Paul Fleming, uh, drop me your number at info at politicsdoneright.com. Info at politicsdoneright.com. I'll give you a call. 
Uh, let's see what else we got here. Vrij MCP says, you think Israel would let us use helicopter? Oh, that's a conversation. Uh, remember, Vrij, don't hold on to conversations when they're going nowhere, Vrij. You taught me that. Come on now. All right. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Um, anyway, folks, please remember, please remember, please remember to support the program. And how can you do that? You can support the program by going to politicsdoneright.com slash support. Once again, politicsdoneright.com slash support. I am putting that into the uh, into the chat right now. politicsdoneright.com slash support. You can also go ahead and uh, subscribe to our newsletter. I ask you so kindly to support our newsletter by becoming a paid subscriber, which gives you access to every single one of the books that I have written already or the books that I am writing. I'm currently writing three books. I'll continue to do them right now. I've been so busy. I haven't been able to finish those up. But anyway, folks, please do remember to uh, subscribe, politicsandright.com slash newsletter. I'm putting it once more in the chat, politicsandright.com slash newsletter. Anyway, folks, I got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right, and you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.